Yo, and hello, everybody. Welcome back to Podcast Free Roscoe. I'm Sammy. And I'm Jody. We're wondering, do you remember Radio Free Roscoe? Because we do. Today we're covering episode six. I am question mark. Jody, do you have the crew rundown? Boy, do I. So this episode first aired August 22nd, 2003. It was directed by Bruce McDonald. Now, there isn't a listing for him as the director on IMDb, so I cannot fully confirm that this is the same person. But if it's who I think it is, it is the director of Pontypool. Yeah, The Pontypool. cult Canadian classic horror film. Which is amazing. Yeah. He's apparently, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was him because he's also directed episodes of, like, Degrassi and Yeah, and, like, Darcy's Wildlife and a ton yeah. of stuff. And I was like, this is probably the same guy. Yeah, because there isn't an IMDb credit. And, like, watching it, I was like, hang on a second. Isn't that Bruce McDonald? Yeah, but Pontypool's a pretty wild movie. So, like, a, a kind of hard uh, hard change from yeah. this. Yeah, I do highly recommend Pontypool. It's yeah. good fun. I'd never heard of this before, but he was part of kind of the Toronto New Wave. Oh. So it's like a loose-knit group of filmmakers, this is according to Wikipedia, loose-knit group of filmmakers from Toronto who came of age during the 1980s and early 1990s. And so that was people like Adam McGoyan, John Grayson, Patricia Rosma. Um, another fun thing about him he is he like always wears a cowboy hat. Oh. Which would make you think he's from Calgary, but he's just from like Kingston. Sick. Just likes cowboy hats. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this episode was written by Doug McRobb and it guest stars Callahan Connor as Kevin Delancey. <laughs> I I found some fun stuff about Callahan Connor. Go for it. So Callahan Connor, aka C Command, oh, is a spoken word poet, rapper, musician, and sound artist. Oh my goodness. He apparently experienced a lucid dream in which he could freestyle rap, which altered his art and brought him into spoken word poetry. What? Yeah. Is he like currently performing? I think so. It was hard to find stuff like that's like current, current, like 2019, 2020. But you can find him as part of like art collectives and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, spoken word guy who dreamt he could rap. And so he did it. (laughs) Yeah. So that's like. Oh my God. Yeah. He has competed and featured at Poetry Slams across the country. And in 2013, he placed second in Canada in the Canadian Individual Poetry Slam competition. Yeah, championship. This is honestly one of the most fun parts of the podcast is yeah. learning about all these like one-off characters and what their careers have become since. Shall we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. You're listening to Radio Free Robbie. The episode kicks off right in the RFR shed. Robbie's kind of eyeing the clock and he's a little bit anxious. And soon enough, it's like, where is she? Clearly, Lily's gone because Ray's like futzing around with her guitar, which would not normally be tolerated as Travis points out. Ah, I am the feedback king, and you are my hearing impaired subjects. Your majesty, do you really want to anger the queen? So we get an improvised, like, almost love song from Ray. It's really bad. Lily comes in and reveals that she's late because her headphones has been confiscated because of the headphone ban. I'm question mark, and I'm wondering, is music evil? I always love how dramatic question marks questions are. (laughs) Oh, comes in so dramatic right off the top. Is music evil? (laughs) And the fact that this is like a a daily broadcast to you, like how much prep time does he do for this? Yeah. He just like, yeah, super off the cuff. Yeah. Just full of thoughts. He's just like ready with like a big thought for that day. Yeah. If it were me, I would have like a couple of like, if something interesting happened that day, I'd be like, here's the thing. But what if he just had a really boring day? He'd be like, he just says, I'm wondering. And then it's silence for like five minutes. Yeah. Just the hour. Yeah. Just kind of like breaks where music kind of like comes in and out. He's still thinking. I would listen to that. That sounds like this type of stupid shit. None of the other DJs talk for some reason. It's just like silence to the point where you don't know if there's anything actually broadcasting. Yeah. Yeah. Other than like you might hear some breathing. (laughs) 
ASMR radio station. They're trying to control everything in our lives. I mean, the dress code's gotten harsher. No baseball caps. That's evil. No outside reading in study hall. Evil. Evil. What, what's Travis reading in study hall? Well, what's hall? Travis reading? And also, like, why? why is that being banned that's yeah. such a weird thing to ban yeah to just like discourage reading on your own like reading non-assigned materials it kind of contributes to the idea that roscoe high is this weird kind of dystopian yeah. landscape ruled by a mighty dictator <laughs> and is the neurotic daniel waller and also smog talks this is the first time smog talks oh you're right which is really weird because yeah. it becomes kind of a thing later i, I wonder <laughs> if they had established like clearly that he even was there yeah because they they hear all of the other djs talking like the listeners do does anybody even know travis is there yeah like i'm just picturing listening to the radio like wait who the fuck was that guy (laughs) yeah but poor travis is sad about not being able to read his own books in study hall so he just has to go sit in armchairs in the hallway to read about the dalai lama that's true. I forgot about their weird reading lounge. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's the rules. Like, you can't read in study hall because we have a reading lounge for that. <laughs> we have two armchairs beside some lockers. Yeah. It's the lounge area. Bring your giant cup of pudding and a book. Actually, that sounds that, great. That's a pretty great <laughs> life. I, I can't judge that. <laughs> I have a new life goal. <laughs> Somebody should start a petition to end the headphone ban. Shady Lane takes no prisoners. Travis is, like, very punchy with kind of cutting off the segments, you know? Like, as soon as Robbie finishes the sentence, like, Travis just, like, turns and switches the music on, like... Travis is ready. Yeah, and, like, the timing of it's impeccable. Like, if they just, like, continue chatting over it, like, it's it's a lot of coordination. You gotta respect it. I feel like this is a good place to actually talk about, because I feel like, you know, this could be skills that Travis picked up while doing international espionage. Oh, yes. I should bring this up. (laughs) This theory comes from our listener, River. So thank you, River. He says, hot take is Travis's spy. Travels frequently, obscure origins, detailed knowledge of radio transmitters and how to intercept comms, buys things from military surplus in Istanbul. Did I mention he lived in Hong Kong? (laughs) (laughs) Which is an absolutely valid theory. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It makes... It makes a lot of sense. And it also doesn't invalidate our theory that he killed a man. Oh, yeah. 100%. You spy, you gotta kill a man sometimes. Yeah. It's part of the job. <laughs> it's un- Requirements. Yeah. You must be able to kill a man. Yeah. They don't even look at your application if you haven't killed a man. I wonder what LinkedIn for spies would look like. I feel like LinkedIn for, sp- like, any sort of social media for spies would kind of defeat the point. <laughs> <laughs> So-and-so checked in here. Oh, cool. Kill a man. <laughs> Come on, people. Surely someone wants to side. for a good cause. So on RFR, Shady Lane says that someone should start a petition to end the headphone ban. And then the next day, Lily Randall is in the hallway with a petition to end the headphone ban. How, like, she's so obsessed, especially in the previous episode, with keeping their identity secret, and then, like, immediately does something that could very clearly reveal herself. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that's very true. She's the only woman on RFR. Yeah. Also, I know high school students are disinterested, but I feel like at least somebody would sign the petition. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody's signing it. So how's the petition going? Lame. So they're in their English class and Robbie's chatting with Lily about the petition and she's getting super discouraged because nobody's signing it unless they're signing with names like Spider-Man. And uh, he says, why don't you ask Union Jack over here? And we see this very like typically looking like subversive kid in like like a ripped shirt and like blaring music. And it's our uh, introduction to Kevin Delancey. 
And of course, right as they introduce the character, Principal Waller walks in. And there's a dramatic zoom. <laughs> yes. So in this sequence, we get two of my favorite shots in this episode. The first is when Waller first walks in, he goes to talk to the teacher and it's just him in front of a blackboard that says tyranny on it, <laughs> which I really enjoy. I never put that together. That's great. And then he looks out at the classroom and we get this like super intense zoom with like a whoosh sound yes. effect as he like spots Kevin with his headphones on. The headphone ban is meant to discourage distraction and encourage learning. I'm sure you're aware of the penalty i feel like principal waller manages to look particularly insane in this scene yes <laughs> like, he just looks like he's so tightly wound he's gonna he's really good at getting that like bug-eyed tight-lipped yes. face oh my god thanks hamish master class hamish McEwen. i was gonna say that like the tyranny picture or the zoom would be my pick of the episode but it's gotta be like a Waller drawing. Yes. So yeah. Waller goes up to Kevin and reams him out for wearing his headphones and realizes that Kevin's drawn a picture of him. And it's a very good picture. It is. How it, much time did he spend on it? I know. Like, I feel like Kevin's accidentally proving the principal's point here. He's clearly not paying attention. Well, I'm flattered. Noses are tricky. Really think you got this one. It's mine, Mr. Waller. <laughs> no, Mr. Delancey. It's mine now. And he takes away both his headphones and his MP3 player. Oh, shit. Not the MP3 player. Not the MP3 player. Wow. I mean, it is useless without the headphones. But. That's true. I, I remember, like, if it was, like, a work period in class, definitely throughout middle school, at least, it was just, like, you would ask if you were allowed to listen to your music, and then you always would. I don't remember in high school as much, because I just think we had less working periods. It was more lesson-based. Yeah, I don't know how I would have gotten work done without being able to listen to music. I find it really hard to like work in silence. I feel yeah. like it, you got to have something, like, yeah. some sort of hubbub. Like I know you've always found that too. Like even if it's just like you have a movie on in the background or yeah. something like that. I'm, I'm like that even for falling asleep. Yeah. You, know? you just need something. Otherwise, like every little random noise in the room will distract me. Yeah. Yeah. Just that get yourself some lo-fi hip hop. It's all good. Yeah. Like those like endless youtube live channels yeah like lo-fi chill yeah study with kind beats. of like uh like ghibli animation yeah we cut to mickey's discs where robbie's hanging out with mickey and kind of further establishes like mickey and robbie is just being good buds it's so which sweet is really sweet I, I kind of wonder how long they've known each other someone's got their grump on huh what's wrong robbie it's all mick Mickey's discs look so cozy yeah. i want to go there <laughs> and it's also kind of like a nice dynamic because the only, like, parents that you see in the show are Ray's parents later on. Like, you don't yeah. really see, uh, like, family interactions for the other main characters. Mm -hmm. So kind of through this dynamic, you get a little bit of, like, father-son for Robbie. You get yeah. kind of him talking to an adult and be being able to, like, express himself outside of his own circle. That's a good point. And it, it's really nice that Mickey doesn't, like, talk down to the kids or anything like yeah. that. Like. They're, they're teenagers. They're insightful. They have their own ideas and stuff. And Mickey's just like this cool guy who like is willing to listen to them. Yeah. I love Mickey. Love Mickey. <laughs> so uh, Robbie goes and talks with Mickey and he's pretty frustrated with everything that's going on at school. And Mickey reveals that he went to high school with Waller. And not only that, 
they were cougar radio DJs together. And we get a really great flashback scene. It's so good. It's Waller and Mickey like decked out in like 70s costumes. And my favorite part of the scene is just how like done retro Mickey looks like with retro Waller because retro Waller is such a fucking dork. <laughs> like, you can see like retro Mickey's eyes kind of like rolling back in his head. He's like, oh, this fucking guy. <laughs> so interestingly, um, in their cougar radio positions, they went by DJ names, which isn't like something yeah. that you see in stated at Cougar Radio since she's just Kim Carlisle. But um, Mickey was called Fusebox, and Waller was known as Danger Man. You're listening to the voice of Roscoe High. Hope you're having a pleasant ride. Next stop, bum ba bum, Funky Town. Which is really funny because, like, the flashback we see gives like. No reason for him to be called Danger Man. He's just this total goofball. Well, yeah, and also, like, since his kind of whole thing in that flashback is that he's really big into disco, his name could have anything to do with disco. Yeah. Why is he Danger Man? I don't know. What are the origins of Danger Man? Do I just not know enough about disco and it's actually a sick rap? Yeah, does somebody want to, like, write us in and, like, give us the education on the the role of danger in disco? Shoot us a message if you're very educated on disco. Yeah, was disco far more dangerous than we realize? He's just, like, an angry little nerd with a perm. I love it. Yes, yes. It's the perfect description. Danger Man makes this prophetic statement where Retro Mickey says, I hate to break it to you, but disco's dead. And Danger Man's like, yeah, and I'll be the principal of Roscoe High someday. And here we are. <laughs> and it's, it's fun because you see Cougar Radio in a bit of a different light yeah. from like how rigid it is. Mm-hmm. And like looking at that dynamic, it's like, yeah, if I were in high school, I would have wanted to be on like that rendition of Cougar Radio because it looks fun. And you get out of class, baby. <laughs> yeah. No, it's amazing. That yeah. was like the benefit of a lot of the extracurriculars I did. I mean, I was like a, a tech theater kind of person. And you just you get out of class to do assemblies all the time. It's fun. Like, yeah, and it's the fun creative stuff, right? Yeah. I would have yeah, I would have died to be on a high school radio station. I also really like that, you know, nobody leaves this town. <laughs> like it's this <laughs> tiny town called Roscoe, and the one guy's the principal of the high school and the other guy owns the coffee shop. <laughs> Which makes me wonder how Travis came to Roscoe specifically. That's if a very it's good like point. this tiny small town, assuming he got here because like his family mm-hmm. like maybe a parent transfer got a new position why would it be in roscoe specifically well how would they have found it yeah clearly he was looking for a place where he could like be in hiding for yeah killing a man. yeah like wouldn't be anything high profile yeah i get it <laughs> <laughs> but if we want to like play devil's advocate <laughs> and say that he didn't kill a man <laughs> i'm very curious about what drew them to roscoe yeah so yeah we closed out the mickey scene with robbie saying i would give anything to hear principal waller is danger man and mickey, mickey says, just goes anything? anything and then we don't know what happens but we cut to the rfr yeah show. and then robbie just has the tapes yeah what kind of deal did they strike i don't know a deal for his soul we interrupt this broadcast to take you on a magic trip back to 1978 they end up playing the tapes on the air so everybody gets to hear waller as danger man and then we cut to waller's office and he's presumably on the phone with his boss while he's turning on the radio why are you turning on the radio while you're on an important phone call? Can't do that. Come on, man. I really like um, just like the actual content of that Danger Man segment. Mm-hmm. So basically, he comes on. He says, I'm Danger Man. And then he says, there's like, what is it? Like, there's a macrame club? Yeah. 
And then he gives a macrame fact. Here's a danger man fact. Pirates did macrame. And then there's just a pause and then he goes, I'm danger man. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love. It's like, it's kind of like no wonder he has such a rigid schedule now because he didn't know what the fuck he was doing as a DJ (laughs) in high school. Like it has to be scheduled or else he just falls apart. (laughs) Just keeps going back to repeating his name. Well, and it kind of echoes back to... um, that like radio wars bit where Kim opens the airwaves, then just goes, anyone waiting for calls? <laughs> Lines are open. Anybody? I'm Kim Carlisle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the end of the RFR segment, everybody, all the DJs are having a great time. They had a lot of fun. But we cut back to Wall in his office, and he says, "No one messes with Danger Man." <laughs> While shaking the snow globe of Roscoe High. <laughs> I, I want that snow globe. I want a snow globe <laughs> that would of be Roscoe amazing. High. Oh my god. Yeah, but yeah, why do you have a snow globe of your high school? That's a weird merchandising that, item. A, a very weird thing. He would have had to get that custom made. Yeah. Or like maybe it was like a gift from a friend or something. But yeah. like, because this god. is just his life. Well, yeah, yeah. And if it was a gift, like, why? What like school principal would want a a snow globe of their school? Only Principal Waller. Only Principal Waller. Yep. He's such an interesting character. Um, I have this petition here to end the ban on headphones. So presumably the next day, Lily is walking through the halls again, uh, trying to get people to sign her petition. Lily is unsuccessful yet again. And then we cut to the classroom and we get the intercom announcements from Principal Waller. He asks, basically asks the students for any intel they have on the identity of question mark, making this the second episode in a row where question mark's identity is in danger. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right back to back. Robbie, uh, what are you doing? And so he reads out a list of names of people he kind of suspects, which is weird, Uh, but it includes Kevin Delancey, our artist friend, uh, Travis, of course, and Robbie. And then we cut to the principal's office. I think Wall is going to give some sort of voice test to try and nail question mark. Let's mess with his head. Travis... Probably just to cover Robbie's hide, tells everyone that they should mess with Waller and pretend like they're really nervous because they're question mark. So they all go into this acting incredibly nervous. Travis is kind of like shakily drinking water and like stumbling through this. We get kind of a a closer look at Waller's desk and he's got like a wedding photo on it. Yeah, I don't even know if it's a wedding photo because she's like in a blue dress. But yeah, yeah, she's got like a blue dress with stripy sleeves, but he's in like a white tux with a bow tie. Like is this... Is this prom after he lost the perm? Or like, oh, I don't interesting. know. They're definitely kissing. Yeah, it's 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 actually a really distracting part of the shot. Just I know, like, full on kissy pick on yeah. the principal's desk. Yeah, because it's like right in front of like the shoulder of the person being interrogated. So it's like as soon as you're looking at that person, you're looking at that photo too. Yeah, it's also, and it might be just like, you know, the quality of the video, video we're looking at. It's hard to tell that it's smaller. It could just be like the people that were in the photo. Like like when you yeah. buy a photo. Yeah, which is like another question. If it's not Waller, why is it on his desk? <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't feel so alone. Oh no. He's got a snow globe in his picture of human interaction oh no oh no i'm i'm question mark and i'm wondering you think mr waller can still do the hustle so after travis we see a couple clips of some of the other kids and then it goes to robbie and it sounds like waller's kind of onto him he points out that travis and robbie left cougar radio all of a sudden and had these big ideas on how they would run a radio station waller introduces the ultimatum that either a question mark turns himself in by the end of the next day or Waller will publicly reveal who he is. He makes a point that seems to resonate with Robbie where he asks if he thinks it's fair that Question Mark exposed his identity 
while remaining anonymous himself. And Robbie seems to take that into consideration. Because Robbie, Robbie's a good guy. Well, and, and that's one of the things that I appreciate, even like this early into the show, is that like these characters don't really kind of things don't just resolve Mm -hmm. there's always kind of like a bit of like an ethical level to like what dilemma they're going through so they have to like question it here or like in radio wars when they have to think about how they were accusing kim without evidence and it's like actually teaching lessons without it being like very like episode of the week this is what we're going to learn kind of thing it's like a very tangible way of introducing morals to a younger audience we'll leave robbie contemplating and we'll move on to our can con commercial break and this week we're not really talking about a specific series but rather many things a government agency a collection of films there was a vhs tape in our house growing up that we would watch on a loop and that vhs tape was the national film board animation festival 1992 90 minutes of shorts excerpts from shorts all animated shorts basically celebrating 50 years of animation at the national film board of canada and it's brilliant and it's weird and i i would just like watch it over and over and over again so that's what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the animated shorts of the national film board of canada So if you don't know about the National Film Board of Canada, it's an agency of the government of Canada under the Minister of Canadian Heritage. It was founded back in 1939 by John Grierson, who was sort of a a Brit who came over and wanted to create this sort of basically a documentary agency for Canada. So when the NFB started out, you got a lot of things like kind of like war propaganda-y stuff, uh, short films about war bonds, things like that. 1941 is actually where you start to get the animation department coming in. Norman McLaren is like one of the iconic animators of the NFB, and he would do things like, I remember watching V for Victory back in film school, which was like this short kind of direct on film style animation that was it was it was a much more experimental approach to World War II propaganda, which is interesting. That's kind of NFB animation in a nutshell. It's very experimental and very different. Norman McLaren would go on to direct films like Neighbors, which is probably his most iconic film, which was kind of almost like stop motion photography, things like that. And then we get to 1950, where Canada's parliament passes the National Film Act, which states that NFB's mandate is to produce and distribute and to promote the production and distribution of films designed to interpret Canada to Canadians and to other nations. That same year, a revision of the National Film Act removed any direct government intervention into the operation administration of the NFB. And that's where things kind of get really interesting. It gets super experimental. The NFB really became a pioneer in uh, new documentary developments. They played a big role in cinema verite and direct cinema. The NFB was a pioneer in forms of animation as well, in stop motion and in computer animation. They released one of the first CGI films in 1974. It's called Hunger. And boy, it's fucking weird. It's, It's kind of... It's kind of disturbing, to be honest, but it is really good. And the NFB has a history of animated shorts that just kind of break expectations, test the technical limits, do interesting things with narrative, telling important stories. And, you know, that's why the NFB has won like a bazillion Oscars for these films. They've been nominated for a bazillion of these films, including some of my favorites, which I'm going to talk about in a bit here. 
The, the big reason why I wanted to cover the NFP shorts this week is because I realized in episode two, while talking about Untalkative Bunny, I described something as a cat came back situation. <laughs> I'm like, I need to explain the cat came back. <laughs> and so that was a 1988 short uh, directed by Cordell Barker uh, based on the folk song, The Cat Came Back. But the cat came back the very next day. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. It's super fun, kind of dark and weird, like most NFB shorts. Um, but some other really influential ones were the works of Richard Condy. So you get things like The Big Snit, uh, another Academy Award nominee, which is about like nuclear apocalypse and like day-to-day relationships and I didn't know that was an Academy Award nominee. Yeah. That's great. We interrupt this program for an emergency broadcast. Good afternoon. A severe worldwide nuclear war has broken out. Yeah, Richard Condy did Getting Started, The Apprentice. He was, a, I know, a huge influence on my own drawing style. And then you get other animators like Janet Perlman, who did The Tender Tale of Cinderella Penguin. Also nominated for an Academy Award. Seriously? Yeah. Oh my gosh. These are like a lot of my favorite childhood things. I didn't realize that they were like also critically acclaimed. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because they're they're extremely well done. You know, Tender Tale of Cinderella Penguin is I could watch on loop forever. It is so cute. It is essentially the story of Cinderella, but everyone's penguins. And it's just, it's, it's adorable. Tender Tale of Cinderella Penguin wasn't on the VHS we had at home, but I would get it from the library over and over and over again. And then you have an animator like John Weldon, who did The Log Driver's Waltz, which is probably one of the more well-known uh, shorts. It was part of the Canada Vignette series. It was this huge kind of series of these shorter vignettes um, that were all meant to kind of explore Canadian identity. And you have a lot of interesting work coming out of there. The eagles burning down and down white water. That's where the log driver learns to step lightly. And John Weldon's work is also gets super weird he does stuff like frank the rabbit and the lump and it gets super experimental and i just if you know me personally it might explain some things about me if you know that i grew up watching this over and over and over again don't watch these films just because they're these critically acclaimed films watch them because they're absolutely brilliant they display a wide range of styles a wide range of storytelling techniques and it's just a lot of fun, and it kind of opens your mind to what animation can do, especially when you look at something like, you know, films like Hunger, films like, um, I know Every Child was an Oscar winner, and that was, uh, I think, created in a partnership with UNESCO to celebrate the rights of children. And it's just great, you know? You have a lot of brilliant Canadian artists who've contributed this huge canon of important animated work. And I feel like we don't talk about them enough. Go on nfp.ca. So many films are available to stream there for free, which is incredible. And they have a lot on their YouTube channel as well. That was kind of my blathering about NFB shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. I don't have a lot of commentary because it's this one's like just genuinely like, this is good content that you probably don't know about. It's not like yeah. roasting Angela Anaconda for 10 minutes. No, no, that was amazing. No, there's there's not a lot of... I, I didn't bring a lot of comedy riffs in this one. I just have a lot of unabashed adoration for NFB films. It made me want to draw. It's mm -hmm. one of the things that made me want to draw. I can see the influence of people like Richard Condy and John Weldon in the way that I do cartoons. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful for that. And yeah, whether you're 
in Canada or outside of Canada, just go watch some of these films. They're yeah. fantastic. There's so many of them. And, you know, like be- because some of them are so out there and some of them are, are so heartfelt, you know, you're going to find something that you like. Just, oh, yeah. Just give them, give them a shot. Give them a look. There are a lot of beautifully, beautifully resonant films. And yeah, it's not all kids stuff either. I mean, like I said, Big Snit is about the nuclear apocalypse. And <laughs> it's one of my favorite short animated short films of all time. It's ridiculous. It's... We quote it all the time in our family. Oh, yeah. That's another thing, too. Like, Van of V shorts are another one of those things that have just kind of seeped into our our family. Uh, what do you call it? Our family lexicon. Um, our lexicon con. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's a bad one. Oh, you said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yeah, go watch shorts. They're great. <laughs> Back to the show. <laughs> great, we have an outro now. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of you delinquents, please tell me what Wallerland is actually like. I'm a good boy. Back in RFR land, we cut to outside the shed where Travis and Robbie are kind of sharing their experience being like interrogated by their principal. On his desk is this snow globe and inside is this tiny Roscoe High and he shakes it and he shakes it. <laughs> All right, that's enough, that's enough. I don't want to hear anymore. What was Travis's experience in that office was Waller just staring at him <laughs> shaking the snow globe? Like, was that his, did he try different interrogation methods? Was each one like, so Robbie is very like, calm collected serious and so, like travis he's just shaking he doesn't say anything globe. just makes eye contact while shaking a snow globe this is what you are doing <laughs> this chaos cannot stand uh robbie's angsting about you know whether or not the radio station abused their own power by playing the tape without thinking of how it would make waller feel and he's just angsting about it and then he leaves his friends to go angst about it some more. Hey, man, you got any sister sledge? Whoa, sorry, that got destroyed in the big disco inferno. Waller! Danny Waller, how you doing? I'm good. So we go over to Mickey's discs, and we get this kind of nice interaction between uh, Waller and Mickey. It's really nice. They have kind of a heart-to-heart about, like, their high school days, and Waller's kind of surmised that Mickey's the one who managed to get the tape to the RFR kids. Yeah. It's also kind of sad because, like, you know, there's this, like, excitement, and you you get the sense that, like, they haven't seen each other in a really long time. But if Roscoe's such a small town, it's, like, kind of hard to avoid other people, you know? So it's, it's kind of sad that these guys were, like, close friends in high school and they haven't been talking in so long oh, that is very sad <laughs> mickey and waller are talking mickey's trying to encourage waller to to take it easy on them you know they're just kids and they were on the radio once and there's there's very little chance at this point that mickey hasn't put together that robbie is question mark you know yeah so i think i think mickey like even though it's not fully acknowledged in this episode is like the first person who knows their secret. Oh yeah, especially with how fast and loose and not super careful they are. Like yeah. like you say, they kind of make it pretty obvious that it's them <laughs> at point after point. Oh yeah. So so Mickey's got it figured out. As Waller is leaving Mickey's discs, he bumps into Robbie. There's this kind of awkward interaction of shuffle. them like kind of trying to get out of each other's it's way. Classic comedy pratfall. Robbie returns the tape to Mickey and apologizes for giving it to RFR without his permission. And we we get a little bit of a conversation there where Robbie's trying to, to figure out if, if Waller has figured him out. And 
Mickey says that Question Mark's identity is safe with him. He may be, but tell Question Mark I wouldn't bet on it. The perm may have grown out, but that angry nerd still lives inside him. Thanks, Mickey. I'll tell him. So then Robbie leaves. We hear, like, somebody scratching one of the records. And Mickey turns and pulls out a megaphone? Go ahead, hippie hop. I dare you. Yeah, where did where did that come okay, from? Okay, wh- where did it come from? Because he wasn't carrying it. And also, why does he have it? Why does he need a megaphone for his store? Yeah, I feel like Mickey's got to have a booming voice. Yeah. You, you can call over. Also, your store's not that big. You yeah. can say, like, hey, stop that. Where, where did he get a megaphone? <laughs> this is a pocket dimension of megaphones. Hey, guys. I have a question. Do you like music? Later. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> I didn't want Adapt to, to come to this. Lily's continuing, like, trying to get people to sign her petition. It's not working. Lily's pretty, like, nervous around people, and yeah. people are also just kind of disinterested. Mm-hmm. So Ray gets everyone's attention, starts dancing in the hallway, and then takes his shirt off. <laughs> And says he will take his pants off if people don't sign Lily's petition. What is the gambit here? What is the logic that the writers were thinking when they were like, oh, if he takes his, if he threatens to pants himself. Like, why does it work? Why, why does that get people to sign the petition? No one else is at stake here other than Ray. <laughs> it's not like, if you don't sign the petition, I'm going to pants all of you. Yeah. I won't pants every last one of you unless you sign this petition. Just want to get your headphones back. Yeah. God. It- and also the fact that, I mean, obviously you get, like, music added into the scene, but it's not like there was actually music in this moment. Yeah, so he's just kind of, like, flapping <laughs> his shirt around. Because the way he dances is just kind of, like, goofy arm movement, yeah. too, right? Just kind of flapping. <laughs> Being like, scene- I'll take off my pants. <laughs> the scene defies logic. Oh, boy. Oh, man. I just... You know, that classic high school situation yeah. where you want your headphones back. <laughs> you threaten <laughs> so you to take off to your pants. pants yourself. You gotta pants yourself for your rights. You gotta pants for your right to headphones. Yes. <laughs> when you got it, you got it. When you got what, Ray? <laughs> Very proud of the fact that nobody wants to see him pants himself. After Ray threatens to take pull off his pants, because that's what you do, we cut back to English class. Robbie and Lily are talking about what's happening. Robbie's thinking he's going to have to turn himself in. Lily's trying to sympathize with him. They're fully talking about their radio identities while Kevin Delancey is sitting right fucking there. Yeah, he's (laughs) right beside them. They're not subtle at all. And we know he doesn't have his headphones. (laughs) (laughs) But we get the second Waller drawing of the episode, which I think is my favorite of the Waller drawings. What do you think? It's great, Kevin. I mean... Walter's gonna love it. Someone buzzed me. Is that gonna stop me? I like to draw. So this it's like is terrifying. It's terrifying. This is our picture of the it's, episode. He's got like he's like baring his teeth and he's wearing headphones that are smoking. Yes. And it says, I am question mark. Um he he's gonna blow eyes? He's gonna blow eyes. <laughs> That's what that says, right? It does. He's gonna blow eyes. I yeah, I what does that mean? <laughs> and then the other side was just grr I didn't even 
look at the text when I watched this before. That's so good. Yeah, like I would. It makes sense that he's gonna blow guys, but it says eyes. He's gonna blow eyes. He's gonna blow eyes. Oh man, is eyes in quotes? Yeah, like what? What does that mean? Like he's gonna blow eyes. eyes. <laughs> Quote into the microphone with my fingers so you can <laughs> can hear you it. hear it? ASMR just like quoting at the microphone. Uh, hey guys, can you feel my probably oncoming arthritis? <laughs> my fingers hurt so much all the time. Are you okay? Is Travis okay? Take some collagen. I feel like he didn't get the nose quite as well in this one, but everything else about it is just—it's so scary and it's so terrifying. sharp. Terrifying. Those are some scary forehead lines. Yeah, it kind of looks like he looks a bit like a Klingon. Like yeah, got, like the forehead like wrinkles like that. Yeah, because it's not one continuous line. It's like a bunch of like little like two scars. Yeah, <laughs> cool and, claw marks. Uh, there's something about like drawing teeth separately. It's so hard to draw teeth and make uh, them not look fucking terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> this is so creepy. Uh, this is great. I wonder if Callahan Connor actually drew these. I feel like I need to go to a C Command show and be like, hey, did you draw this picture? Oh <laughs> it makes me kind of sad that Kevin Delancey's like a one-off character. I'd love to see more He'd of his drawings. He'd be fun. He'd be a fun character. Yeah. Okay, so we cut back to the station. I don't know what the fuck is happening here. <laughs> They're like hanging out, looking kind of sad. Ray's looking through... These popsicle stick figures? Like, yeah, so they've got all of their heads onto a popsicle stick, and then they spell out, like, each of them has a letter on their forehead, so you've got RFR, and then Robbie says 88.1. Why do these exist? We might need to have a second picture of the episode. Oh, my God. These need to be seen to be believed. Oh, my God. There there are so many good visuals in this episode. Yeah. Are these, like... Do they put on like puppet shows? <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I don't know because there's, they couldn't use these to promote in any way because yeah. they're the only people who can know their identities. Who made these? I kind of want to believe that it was Travis I, as yeah. being like new to the friend group and being like, guys, I made you something. Yeah, I made you something. And then I, I can fully picture Ray doing like silly one man puppet shows yeah. while everyone else is just hanging out. No, it's true. It's kind of sweet, but it's, it's weird that these are presented without context. Yeah. Like, this is just a normal thing that, like, somebody in the props department had to make. Yeah. And be like, all right, I guess this is a thing I'm making today. And I love Robbie's face. Like, the oh, face that they chose for Robbie's photo. It's like He's this looking... blue steel kind of. Oh, yeah. Extremely intense. Like, a very kind of un-Robbie-like expression. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is kind of neutral or smiling, and then he's very intense. This is just Nathan Stevenson's headshot from the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a tattoo on his forehead that said 88.1. <laughs> they had to digitally remove it, like Henry Cavill's mustache. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is our first show without Robbie. How are you guys feeling? Uh, I'm going to miss the little corn dog. I'm not your little corn dog. So the crew sits down to start their broadcast, and... Robbie is super solemn and penitent and just, you know, says this emotional apology to Principal Waller. And then it gets so dramatic. Oh, my God. His voice starts shaking. Yeah. And he's like, so I'm saying goodbye to RFR. Question mark will be no more after Waller exposes him at tomorrow's assembly. 
we cut to a young woman listening in Mickey's disc who looks like she's about to cry. Yeah, it's like this huge emotional thing. Oh my god. Oh, Robbie is is such like this vulnerable boy. I love him. And then Robbie just leaves. Basically says his piece. He asks students not to call Waller Danger Man anymore and then he just pieces out. It's very dramatic. Yeah. So we cut to Waller and we see that he's kind of made his piece. So initially when he was talking with Mickey and Mickey's disc, Mickey had said, well, maybe give the kid a break and treat this as strike one. Mm -hmm. So after hearing Robbie's speech, he's kind of moved and he says, okay, question mark, that's strike one. So we kind of get this feeling like he's going to come around on it and just kind of drop the issue. Then we cut to this assembly the next day, the dramatic assembly. And one of my favorite parts about this assembly scene is how they avoid using like wide shots of the kids, probably to hide the fact that there's only like 10 kids in there. Yeah. We have no idea how many kids go to the school. Like, it looks busy at all hours of the day. The cafeteria has eight tables. There's clearly (laughs) enough room in this assembly for kids to spread out. Yeah. So the assembly starts off with Waller addressing the ban on headphones. He mentions that Lily's petition is still short of 20 signatures, so they need to get those signatures in order for the petition to actually be considered by student government. And then the assembly's over. So he's kind of, he's backed off of the question mark thing. And then Ray fucks it up. <laughs> it's not Ray, is it? Danger man strikes again. <laughs> Return to your seats. Oh no, I didn't even realize that is Ray's voice. Yeah, right after Robbie makes this emotional plea, stop calling Waller danger man. It's this dramatic moment. <laughs> Everyone leaves and Ray says. Oh my gosh, yeah, we, we don't see him, but it does sound exactly like Ray. Yeah. Ray says, Danger Man strikes again, and that sets the fuse. And Waller is pissed. He basically, again, calls out question mark for remaining anonymous while exposing Danger Man, and he challenges question mark to reveal himself, Um, and it kind of culminates in this amazing moment where he kind of embraces his past identity and just says, I am Danger Man. So there's there's this brief moment Robbie looks like he's ready to stand up. Lily tries to stop him, but he stands up. And then our boy Kevin stands up. Yeah. He says, I am question mark. And then Lily kind of follows Lee and says, I am question mark. And although this is the thing, eventually becomes everybody. But the core four reveal themselves so fast. Oh, and they're incredibly <laughs> obvious. Like, yeah. Robbie is obviously the most nervous looking person in the room yeah. before Kevin stands up. And then when he goes to move, Lily grabs him and says, don't let him win. Yeah. So, like... They made it very obvious. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, those four hang out all the time. Yeah, just, like, a little <laughs> cluster of them. Like, hmm, four DJs and these four, two of which I suspected. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Waller gets, you know, he gets this weird kind of smirky look on his face as the whole school kind of stands in solidarity, having somehow thwarted him again. <laughs> yeah, and he's just kind of like, hmm, all right. Like, like all right. He, he almost kind of looks proud. I am question mark. I am question mark. I am question mark. I am question mark. I'm question mark. I am question mark. And that's episode six. Kind of a fun look back into Waller. A fun yet poignant and kind of sad look into Waller and Mickey's friendship. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, An interesting dynamic there. And a 
weird episode back to back with yeah. this consistent threatening to reveal yeah. who question mark Just is. Robbie putting the entire radio Come station on. in jeopardy. Do we want to head over to Mickey's disc? Yeah. This so. episode's a weird one. I feel like none of the songs are right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and I was I was trying to think about that, you know, but before we, we started recording this one, I was like, What what if, what songs? Like none yeah. of them really stood out to me. Um just not because they're bad songs, but just in how they were used. Yeah. Songs in this episode include No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age, Walk Out by Knacker, Easily Pleased by Botanic, Last Night by The Strokes, and My World by Hutch. Radio Free Rascoe4.tribot.com. We we love you, and please don't come for me, but I don't think these songs are correct. <laughs> based on where they placed them. They said the Queens of the Stone Age one is at the beginning of the episode when it's clearly just like an RFR sting. Like it's not part of that song. Yeah. And the the song that they say is the Stroke song is definitely not the Stroke song. Like I went and listened to the Stroke song because I'm like, this doesn't sound like the Strokes. And it's not the Strokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't fact check us because we don't have a clear way of <laughs> verifying this. Yeah, because it's the best we got. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, major kudos because it, it is hard to pinpoint what these songs are. Oh yeah, yeah, cause... yeah. I I tried, mm-hmm. can't do it. Even like trying to like Shazam things. I mean, like you can't do it. No, there's audio. Like there's people talking over it. Yeah, there's people talking over it, and also just. So many of these are just so freaking obscure. Oh, they're they're so obscure. They're like some of them are like indie bands from like small town Ontario. Yeah. Who released an album in like two thousand one. Oh yeah. I think the song that I liked the most is the song that plays when Mickey and Waller are chatting. Yeah. Which according to the website is My World by Hutch. I can't find anything about Hutch. (laughs) They just disappeared into the ether somewhere. Yeah, some of these are tricky to do, like, a full Mickey's Discs segment on. I'm I'm kind of realizing now it's kind of a fun opportunity. If any of you, like, super Canadian, like, indie music heads out there recognize some of these songs as you're watching along with us and have that intel that, you know, maybe doesn't exist on Google but exists in some obscure like Canadian music magazine somewhere mm-hmm. should totally hit us up let's fix IMDB IMDB is mixing a lot oh it's very a confusing. lot of information yes <laughs> someone hasn't fact-checked RFR in a long time yeah you gotta get Bruce McDonald on there he's kind of a big deal in yeah. English Canadian film and TV yeah <laughs> which is a small pond <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that about does it for this week. This was episode six of RFR and Mm -hmm. episode six of Podcast Free Roscoe. So you can follow us on social media at Podcast Free Roscoe on Instagram and Facebook or Pod Free Roscoe on Twitter. If you have any thoughts about this or any episode or any questions that you'd like us to talk about on air, you can send us a voice message to our email at podcastfreeroscoe at gmail.com. Yeah, we would love to hear from you guys. Especially, we know you're out there. We see the YouTube comments. <laughs> People love this show. Yeah, we do too. So thanks for tuning in and listening with us this week. This is Podcast Free Roscoe, signing off. Podcast Free Roscoe.